How are you guys this morning? You're good? Are you, got your, you got your stuff together better than I do? I didn't have any sermon notes up here. I just have to wing it, which I could probably do, but it would show. Yeah, I, I just want to let the world know uh, what we st- who we are and what we stand for. You guys help me out with our, with our motto, with our saying, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And that's true. That's the way we feel. A couple of things I'm supposed to announce before I forget. The baptism that we had scheduled to today for today is being moved back to September 10th. There was so much rain in the area that the creek is, is up and the driveway to get there is muddy. And we want to make sure that uh, Miss Barbie does well at her baptism. So that'll be September the 10th. But you know what else that means? That means if there's anyone else who needs to obey the Lord in baptism, then that's, this gives a little more time to think about it and pray about it. Uh, did you remember your pinto beans and your peanut butter? No, me neither. Well, I did remember them, but we're just, we're, it's, it's in the budget for like next week, right? So we're collecting pinto beans and peanut butter. This goes to the school in Haiti that, uh, that we pray for, and, and we have sent them peanut butter uh, before, and next week we should have like a barrel out here to put the peanut butter and pinto beans in. This food is going to go with these kids when they break for Christmas because they, man, Haiti is a tough place to be. If you look, we have poverty in our area, absolutely. But we have no idea what it's like to be in Haiti. These kids have so, so very little. This is an opportunity to show a lot of love to these kids. This is a Christian school in Haiti. Next time Miss Beverly is in the area, we need to have her by to tell us again. It's been quite some time since she's been here with us to tell us about it. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, we're collecting for those shoe boxes as well. And what's the first item? Is it like a weekly thing? Okay. We probably, let's make copies and distribute that for sure. Yeah, we have a list of things. The sh- that's the shoe box ministry, if you guys are familiar with it at all. If you're not, just to let you know, uh, we fill a shoe box full of items for a child for Christmas and they'll go to different places. If, if they're having us make hats. Maybe it's going to a colder part of the world this year. I don't know. A lot of the times it goes to a warmer part of the world. That's going to be a lot of fun when we assemble those. That was a blast. So keep that in mind. Okay. Have I forgotten all the, forgotten any announcements? Did anyone tell me to announce something that I've forgotten? What's that? Oh yeah. Labor Day. Yeah. We'll have normal services next week because flea market people usually aren't out at 10 a.m. I don't know why. So we'll, yeah, we'll just have normal services next week. Okay, parking may be a little squirrely, getting out of here may be a little squirrely, but we'll be fine. We'll just have services, and you know what? Maybe the Lord will bring some more people here because of that. And on that note, I want you to know that if you're here today, it's because we've been praying for you to be here. I pray all the time, Lord, bring everyone who's supposed to be with us today. So if you're here, you're an answer to prayer. So you could just look over at somebody next to you and say, you're an answer to prayer. Now make them feel good. You're an answer to prayer. Some of y'all don't want to make your neighbor feel nice. But I want to tell you, if the person sitting beside you did not tell you, you are an answer to prayer. You guys know something about me. I grew up around here. I'm a, I'm a farm kid at heart. And me and my brother grew up working with my dad and my grandpa and my uncles a lot on the farm. And there are rules for when the, the boys go help the men on the farm. And you need to understand when you're going to go help these men, there is no whining whatsoever. That does not happen. Because you will not 
receive the compassion and mercy that you might get from mama or grandma. Say, oh baby, come let grandma kiss it. It's going to be just fine. If you tell your dad or your uncle or your grandpa on the farm, my finger hurts. There is one solution. There's only one medical remedy for a sore finger when the boy is working with the men on the farm. Do you know what it is? Amputation. That's the only solution. That is the only possible cure for a splinter in your fingers. Oh, come here, boy. Come here, boy. Let's, I guess let's cut that thing off if it's in that bad a shape. I don't know how many times I have heard that. Lots and lots of times. Now, you will notice I still have ten fingers. So this was an empty threat. But, and I cannot recommend the threat of amputation as the best way to shape and mold developing minds. However, I feel that, that you know, I, I will say, yes, I admit I have used that same technique with my own children. Often, apparently, according to their sweet little mama, sweet little mama, don't you cut my boy's finger off. Don't you threaten him. But what she doesn't understand is you got to give the next generation just enough trauma to make them funny, but not enough to like really mess them up. You got to have just a little bit of trauma, a little bit of good trauma. So yeah, um, not writing a book on parenting anytime soon. Let's, let's see how the little hatchlings turn out, and then we'll go from here. I think they're pretty awesome kids. I'm super proud of them, but uh, they would probably also say that I shouldn't write a book on parenting. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, my firstborn child, who agrees with my statement. <clears throat> of course, for as many times as amputation was threatened to me growing up on the farm, oh man, sorry, let's cut that thing right off. Um, if you're not familiar with that, I'm so very sorry that you were traumatized in a different way uh, than one with which I'm familiar. There are times, however, when it is a medical necessity to have something removed, um, to have an amputation. And that's tough. That, I don't say that lightly at all. I have a good friend of mine who was in a horrible skiing accident when he was in his early 20s, and he, it left him dangling upside down, hanging from one badly broken leg from a tree. So he's hanging upside down from a tree by a mangled leg, and that leg was so mangled they ended up having to take it off. So he lost his leg in his early 20s. Um, of course, I have... Uh, Several friends who, because of the complications of diabetes, have had to have toes or feet or, or legs amputated. And, and um, it's a very difficult thing. It's a traumatic, painful thing, but far less terrible than the loss of the whole body due to a slow necrosis. You know, in the case of my friend with his leg who was in a skiing accident, they tried to save it and tried to save it but they couldn't. It was killing him, and it, it had to go. So maybe that will give us a little bit of context for this teaching Jesus gave in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, um, because Jesus appears to give the same solution that my uncles always had. Oh, that hand is a problem for you? Well, let's cut that thing right off. So Jesus was not a, a mean uncle, I assume. I assume his siblings had children, so he did have nieces and nephews, but I, I bet he didn't use that threat on them. But why is he here saying, if your hand is a problem for you, let's cut it off. 
in this passage, we see kind of a rare side of Jesus. We're, we're more familiar maybe with that meek and mild caricature of Jesus, that bedtime Bible story Jesus that's just so sweet and, and uh, doesn't seem to get really bothered by things. And yet we see him being and, and, and acting in a way here that's suggesting a thing that is um, to use a more recent slang term would be savage, savage Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, I used that term, savage, and my children let me know that while I did use the slang term correctly, that I should never, ever use young people slang, because I'm old, um, that's what they said, should never do that. I said, but I used it right, didn't I? They said, yeah, but don't, don't ever. And I told you last week that the very, very best thing you can do as a parent or someone who's around teenagers is to use slang their slang, use it correctly, but use it about five years out of date because that makes them very irritated. And for some reason, I don't know, you'll probably need to pray for me. I like, I like to irritate my kids. That's bad. Uh, it's so easy to do, though. It's very easily done. So anyway, fair warning, you might want to fasten your seatbelts in these very comfortable church chairs because we're going to see a, a side for Jesus that if you're not prepared for could be shocking, could be a surprise he is going to show us that there are times when you need to cut something off. Cut off what is cutting you off from God. That is the core idea of this. That's the title of the sermon, if you like to write these things down. Cut off what cuts you off from God. Now let's read, beginning at Mark 9.43, and I'll pray. If your hand causes you to sin... Cut it off, because it's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into a fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, didn't I tell you, this is the savage side of Jesus, apparently. And if your foot causes you to sin, what does Jesus say? Cut it off, for it's better you, for you to enter life lame than rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. My goodness, that's some, that's some heavy sayings from Jesus. And on that note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll help us, that you'll speak to us right now, that you'll help us to understand what you mean by these shocking things and teach us to cut off what cuts us off from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would put it on uh, verse 47, maybe, just kind of leave it there for just a second. Okay, do I need to give a disclaimer that Jesus is not telling you to remove parts of your body? Do I need to do that? Maybe I do. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say that up front. Do not chop off your hand. Do not chop off your foot. Do not pluck out your eye. There are stories of people in the very early days of the Jesus movement who interpreted this in a very literal way and did like remove parts of their body thinking 
that it would make them closer to God. Look, Jesus is not telling you to cut things off. I'm pretty sure that Jesus is using hyperbole, which is a communication tool for uh, using exaggeration to make a point. You do it all the time yesterday. Yesterday was hot, wasn't it? Ooh, it was hot. Yesterday, I was outside working on something, and Alexis was there helping me because she's such a good kid. Everybody look at her and make her feel real comfortable. Such a good kid. She was there helping me. And I looked at her and said, Lexi, I'm melting. I'm melting. Was I literally melting? No, I only looked like I was melting. Because the sweat was, it was super hot. This is an exaggeration to make a point. My point was not that I am literally melting, but that it was so, so hot that I was uncomfortable. And sweet Lexi went and got me something to drink. Good kid. But she didn't say, Dad, you're not literally melting. You're lying right now. You're not melting. She did not say that. Because she understood what I meant. What I meant was, it is so hot that I am uncomfortable. Um, maybe sometime in your life you have said the phrase or heard someone say the phrase, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Whew, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. But if you were to offer that person a horse burger... And said, hey, here's a horse burger. You want this? And they were like, um, I don't, I don't know if I do. They're not literally hungry for a horse. Now, if anyone's listening in this podcast in the country that where they eat horses, you do you, man. You do you. I'm not interested in a horse burger. But you, everybody knows what you mean. You don't mean that you want to eat a horse, let alone a whole horse. You mean that you're really, really hungry okay jesus is not literally telling people to to chop off parts of their body it's not so different than than that uncle who suggested let's cut off that finger because it's it's not that he thought it was a good cure obviously if you cut off if if your uncle uses the same nasty pocket knife that he uses to cut the bunions off his feet i've seen that done it's terrible don't do that to cut off your finger you're going to be in way worse shape than the splinter you're complaining about right it's going to hurt a lot more and it's probably going to get super gross so no but that point was never the need to amputate a finger it was about putting it into perspective it was a way of saying hey look look buddy that finger is not worth whining this much about let's take the splinter out it's not that big of a deal now jesus takes this illustration this idea and kind of turns it over he's going to show us sin is such a big deal that it's worth some drastic action not literally chopping off your hand but the stakes are far higher than losing a hand or a foot or an eye now last time we were in the book of Mark. Um, we talked about how Jesus was so serious about us not putting a stumbling block in the way of someone, like not tripping someone up in their spiritual life, um, especially not tripping them up into sin, not to be that kind of a bad influence on people. Now he's, he's um, kind of taken it a step further and says, says don't, don't make yourself trip up. Don't put an, a stumbling block in your own way. Don't... Don't uh, cause yourself to get tripped. And he puts it in such a shocking way. 
he, he said it would be better to rid yourself of a body part than to have that body part cause you to be enslaved to sin. Cut off what cuts you off from God. Of course, hey, let's think about it for a second. Is it really your hand or your foot or your eye that controls your behavior? No, it's not. Your hand and your foot and your eye, they're all controlled by your mind. We might also use the word heart or flesh or our will. We are, it's, it's coming from here, it's coming from here that controls our behavior. Now your eye is the place where, for example, an unwholesome image might enter, but you don't have to have your eyes open to lust you can lust just fine with your eyes closed so it's not really about the eye just like the suggestion to cut off the finger with a splinter was never really about amputation it isn't isn't like that we do need to cut out something it's not a hand or a foot or an eye it's cutting out something wrong that's in our thinking or in our heart that leads us to make sinful choices. It's the messed up way of thinking, the messed up way of believing that leads us to messed up behavior. If you are in a habit of going to places that are not good for you, cutting off your feet will not stop you. You'll find a way. Because what needs to happen is the heart needs to change. There needs to be something excised from the heart. What do we need to cut out? Boy, I don't know. We could never make a, like a full list of things that, that we need to be careful about here. But maybe we can get started, okay? We can get started talking about the things that we need to be careful. Maybe we need to cut out of our lives. We, we, um, the one that comes to mind first for me is the things that we do um, to self-medicate that are really destructive. You know, those things that when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, when we're struggling, when we're anxious, when we just kind of, we don't feel right, where do, we, where do we reach in those times? And there, there's a lot of those things that we reach to that really aren't good for us. And they lead us down a path towards sin. I mean, obviously there's some that are very clearly not good for you. I mean, you know, abusing a substance when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, that's obviously not good for you. You know, re resorting to something like pornography when you're stressed or overwhelmed, that's not good for you. But there's a lot of other things that fit that. You know, for me, I'm really bad to like zone out scrolling on one of these. I hate that about myself because I'm like, I don't want to be scrolling this dumb thing. I just, you know, I just want to kind of rest. And it, but it, it's, it's the thing that's like, this is not good for me because it wastes a lot of time. I could be doing something good. Um, that goes for any kind of entertainment, anything with a screen, whether you're a kid or an adult, and I kind of worry about our current generation coming up young because there's a lot of kids who've only ever known a world full of screens. Like, I ain't saying I was a very good kid, but I had so much fewer opportunity to get distracted. That's all. I don't think kids are any worse these days or anything. There's just more opportunity to to fill your mind with something that's not good. Uh, even, even good things can become the thing you resort to in an unhealthy way. Like, uh, you can, you ever known anybody who just worked, worked, worked all the time? And that was kind of their way of not dealing 
with the stuff they need to deal with. Even good things like exercise can be the thing that you just, you do it all the time and it keeps you from having to think. These are good things in the right amounts. Things like, here's, I'm going to, I'm probably going to get something thrown at me by somebody in this room. Um, things like anything you resort to when you're like just feeling stressed, even like, like rage cleaning. Are there any, anybody who will confess to being rage cleaners in the room? I see a very few careful hands coming up. Hey, the cleaning part is good. It's the rage part. It's the rage part that's probably not good in any context. Um, it's just, it's just not, it's really not good. We need to think about the places we turn when things get stressful. Because they won't fix it. They won't fix your stress, most likely. Something's got to happen in your heart. There's some peace that needs to happen in your heart. So, we need to be careful about the things we turn to. And careful not to put ourselves in a place of temptation. You know, that's part of what this is about. Is not putting yourself where, where you're going to set yourself up for failure. Okay. You could probably tell by looking at me that I love... Love, love, Golden Corral. Am I alone in my love for Golden Corral? I love Golden Corral. Don't overthink it. I know it's a buffet and a lot of people are touching those tongs. Don't think about that part. That has ruined Golden Corral for some people. But the thing is about Golden Corral, getting away from that, is they'll just keep giving you steak. They don't cut you off on steak. You come with your plate and you go to the steak station and you say, I would like one medium rare. And they just put a steak on your plate. They don't look at you. They don't judge. Golden Corral don't judge. Say, here's have another steak. And you can just keep eating steak all day. I assume at some point they make you leave. I've not tested that. But I can't go to Golden Corral because of that. Because it sets me up for failure and I get myself really sick and it's not good. I realize that gluttony is like a socially accepted sin, but it ain't good for you. It's going to shorten your life. It's not going to make you feel good. You know, things like that. Look, that's a funny one, but there's a lot more. There's just so much more, guys, of the things that we, we set ourselves up for failure. Like, man, if you, if you know that something is a struggle for you, don't go to places where that's happening. Um, if you know that you struggle with images that provoke lust, don't set yourself up for failure. You know, just leave that, leave your device somewhere in a, just use it only in like a open space. Don't use it in a private space, you know, leave it. Uh, here's a tough one. Ooh, this one's tough. Ooh, it's tough. Okay. So I'm going to try to tread lightly here. If you know that being around certain people influences you to make bad decisions or that if being around those people sends you into a dark spiral you might not be able to be around those people i do not say this at all lightly but there is a good and proper time where you might have to cut out some destructive relationships maybe not forever but at least for a while that's tough that hurts. It hurts to not be able to have people in your life. Especially men, when you're like, hey, I don't have a lot of friends. Uh, my friends may be a bad influence, but I don't have a lot of them. And if I start cutting out friends, I don't have a lot of friends. Okay, I get it. I hear you. But there's the famous line that I tell my kids all the time. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. 
And I know I can hear them sighing over here. But I guarantee you when they have kids of their own, they're going to be like, well, as your grandpa Michael used to say, your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. And that's a fact. Be careful about who you have in your close circle. And, um, and there's just a reality. It's a hard reality that there's probably some people in your family that it's going to be hard for you to be around. And you want to love them, you want to pray for them, but if they send you into a very dark spiral and trip you up, you may not be in the place where you could be around those people. Maybe not forever, but maybe for now. That's tough. Look, that hurts, right? It hurts when you've got to cut something out of your life that is a big part of your life or cut someone out of your life. That hurts so much. But understand, when Jesus spoke these words, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. There were modern anesthesia methods had not been invented. A person who had a limb cut off would feel every single bit of that. It was going to hurt awfully. And I'm going to tell you for a fact, it's going to hurt when you start cutting the things out of your life that you need to cut out. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt when you cut out some of the things that, that you know are not good for. You know it. But it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot to cut out some of the stuff that you've been leaning on that is not good for you. You know you need to get rid of it, but man, is it going to hurt. It's, it's going to hurt, but it's better to cut those things out and bear that pain than to experience spiritual death. Cut off what is cutting you off from God. <clears throat> okay, now we got to the part... Where we got we got to talk about the elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, Jesus references eternal consequences here. And that's part of this teaching that it's better to cut off the things that lead you down the path of eternal separation from God. These are life or death stakes. Now look, look, understand this. This is an uncomfortable subject. It is. Please um, hear me. The, the concept of an eternal hell makes a lot of folks squeamish. Hey, it should really make us all squeamish. We should all be very, very uncomfortable with that. And I'm going to be very upfront in saying that if you listen to this and you're like, oh, I don't think, I'm, I, don't think I agree with you, Pastor. We'll still get along. Deal? If we don't agree on this, we'll still get along. If you don't believe anything that I'm about to say, you are still welcome, you are still wanted, and you are still loved. Look, I'll go ahead and tell you up front, if you don't believe anything like the way I believe, you're still welcome to hang around. I, I think some of this Jesus stuff is going to rub off on you. Warning. I think a lot of this Bible stuff is going to rub off on you. But let's just make a deal right now that, hey, just hear me out, okay? Because even if you don't believe the way I believe, that's okay, but I am convicted that the bible shows us the truth of this so i have no choice but to present it the way the bible presents it would you do you you want to you want a preacher who doesn't go with what the bible says i mean probably not whoever's teaching about this thing should probably believe it that's what kills me when you like on the history channel and you have someone who's a bible scholar quote bible scholar and they don't they tell you all the reasons that what the bible said isn't really true have you noticed that? It's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Going to school just to learn it is not true? What's the point of that? I really believe this thing. I'm not saying you have to, but boy, I do. 
So I choose to trust that the word trust the truth of the word of God, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And so I'll ask you to do me the favor of this. If you don't agree, um, just listen, just hear it out. Hey, we hear sirens go by. We always stop and pray. That's one of the reasons God's put us on the street corner. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we hear sirens going by responding to an emergency. We pray right now that your hand will be upon the first responders who are headed there and for the folks who are involved, that you would have mercy on them and bring them through. God, we give them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we all do me the favor instead of kind of pulling away like, ooh, I don't feel good about that. Maybe lean in and kind of hear it and listen it. Think about it. All right. So Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Verse 48, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Mm, 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 mm. <clears throat> Very interesting background here. If you're kind of a Bible nerd type, you'll find this interesting. If you're not, this might even interest you. Um, the word here for hell is Gehenna. It's a Hebrew word transliterated into Greek here in the New Testament. Gehenna literally, originally meant valley of the son of Hinnom. Hinnom it was a name, a proper name. The valley of the son of Hinnom. It referred to a valley, a real valley, that was on the southwestern side of the city of Jerusalem. This was a bad place because in the Old Testament times, the wicked kings would take their children down in the valley of the son of Hinnom and sacrifice them to the pagan gods. Thumbs down on that. Don't like that. But they would do it. It was evil, evil practice. Josiah comes along, who's one of the good kings, and he wants to put a stop to this practice. And he, he says, just in case any of my descendants ever try this again, I'm going to turn it into a garbage dump. So he turned the valley of the son of Hinnom into a garbage dump. And that's the way it was at the time when Jesus lived. It was a garbage dump outside the city. People would kind of feel, hey, we live in a redneck part of the world, and there are plenty of folks who would just fill up a gully with trash, okay? You've seen that happen if you're from here. I have. It's not a good thing to do. Um, but that's just what they did back then. So they filled up this valley with garbage, and it was a horrible, horrible place. It was full of stench. It was full of maggots and worms. And some part of it was constantly on fire because they made an effort to incinerate this garbage. So it was forever burning, forever smoldering, forever horrific. And some of the transient people of Jerusalem would live there among the garbage and sleep there. And sometimes they would die there and the worms would eat their body and they would be burned up in these fires that were always smoldering. Horrible, horrible place. It was the worst kind of place that the people of that time knew. It was so full of burning and gnawing things, people began to use it as uh, use the name of that place as a reference to hell, to an eternal hell. And they would call it Gehenna. You know, it's kind of like you've heard the song, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. This was Almost Hell. That's Gehenna. That's what it was. Don't shake your head. That was good. That was good stuff. You can't just get that anywhere. So you'll remember that. You won't remember anything. It's like, 
preacher butchered John Denver today. Hey, look, John Denver butchered that song. His geography's way out of whack. That's not West Virginia he's singing about. It's Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains ain't in West Virginia. Shenandoah River, that's in Virginia. Anyway, we're not going to correct anybody's geography today. So there, there's no earthly way to communicate the horror of an eternity without God. But for the people who lived in that time, looking at the Valley of Gehenna, full of fire and garbage and gnawing horrible worms, that was, that was the closest thing they could imagine. It was bad. And people wonder, and it's okay to wonder this, you say, well, why, would, why would God ever choose to send anybody to an eternal hell? That's a good question. And through the years, there are spiritual leaders who have used the threat of hell as a primary motivator. And then they're a primary motivator to get people to make a spiritual decision. It's kind of the hellfire and brimstone preaching. And then, of course, there are, I hesitate to call them really spiritual leaders, but there have been plenty of people who in the name of Christ have used the threat of hell as a way to manipulate people primarily for their own gain couple of things I want to mention here. Romans 2.4 says it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. The goodness of God. Avoiding eternal punishment, that's a good reason to trust the Lord. But a far better reason to trust the Lord is His goodness. Please hear me when I say that salvation was never meant to be fire insurance for the afterlife. It is so much more than that. That is one small bit of it. Avoiding eternal punishment, man, that's, that's something, but it gets better. God is good. God loves you. God wants to spend eternity for you. He did not make anybody for the eternal fiery garbage dump. Do you understand that? You nor anybody else, that is not what He wants for you. He puts the choice in our hands, though. He gives us this thing called free will. He didn't create us to be robots who have no choice but to love Him. He created us to be people who have the freedom to choose whether we will trust Him or not. And the whole point of the Gospel is that He wants the good for you. He won't force it on you, but He wants you. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In another place, he says, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but is patient toward us that we all might come to repentance. Does that sound like the kind of God who likes tossing people into a bad place? Not at all. If someone has presented God to you in an image of someone who just likes to squash, who likes to hurt, who, who revels in the idea of someone being an eternal punishment, that is not the truth of the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God is that He sacrificed His own Son. Not in the Valley of Hinnom, where the Old Testament kings did, but on just outside the gate on the north side of the city on a hill called Calvary. Jesus gave His own Son so nobody would have to face eternal punishment if they would just trust in Him. Tough subject, isn't it? Tough one. I don't like it. I don't like it. Wish it didn't have to be that way. But it is that way. 
Jesus teaches us that it's far better to get rid of the things that pull you away from God than to spend eternity separated from Him. This teaching isn't about self-mutilation. It is about waking us up to how destructive sin is. Sin leads to spiritual death. We need to be so determined to get rid of the sin in our lives that we would be willing to take off a hand or a foot or an eye. The point is not... The, the point is we, we cannot put ourselves in that position. We, we need help with this sin in our life. And it, it's very serious. It needs to be cut out somehow. And we may find that we can't really fix it ourselves. I want to tell you a story. There was a man named Aaron, a fit young guy, a mountaineer, mountain climber, hiker, and he went on a solo hike in Utah in the Blue John Canyon, beautiful, beautiful place. While he was descending a rock face, a boulder dislodged and it pinned his right wrist against the canyon wall. Huge, immovable boulder. No cell service, no way to signal for help, nobody who knew where he was. He pulled and he pulled, but he could not get his hand free from where it was trapped. Five days into this, his food and his water are long gone, and he manages to pull his video camera out of his backpack and he videos a goodbye to his family because he figures this is it. The next morning he wakes and he finds that the arm that is trapped is beginning to decompose. It is, it is rotting away. And in his delirium, he gets an idea. And he uses the leverage of this 800-pound boulder to break the bones in his forearm. He ties off a tourniquet using the, one of the, the rubber hoses from his water pouch. And he pulls out a multi-tool with a dull two-inch blade and he starts to saw. He saves the major arteries for last. But he cuts himself free of the hand that has him trapped. Set free from that, he rappels down the wall and he hikes to safety four hours after cutting away the deadly hand he was rescued. And he wrote a book about his experience and there was a movie made about it. He's a motivational speaker now. That, is so, that sounds so extreme, doesn't it? But what if he hadn't separated himself from that hand? He'd have died. And he'd died a pretty horrible death. This is, this is the stakes, folks. This is the stakes. And you, you don't need to cut out a limb, probably. But there's stuff in your life that is cutting you off from God. And you've got to deal with it. And that is not me as some preacher guy holding a mic saying that I've got it figured out and you don't and you better get on it. This is me saying as a fellow pilgrim, We've got stuff we need to deal with. We've got to cut off the things that cut us off from God. Uh, we've got to cut off anything in our life that leads us to sin. We need to cut off the things that are distracting us from our purpose. We need to cut off the attitudes that lead us into sin. We may even need to separate ourselves from some people who lead us into sin. From the devices and apps and streaming services that lead us into sin from anything that is detrimental to our spiritual life. Because as painful as it is, 
it's better to cut that off than to be cut off from God. And you know what you will find? You'll find when you start working on your life, when you get serious, what you will find is you can't fix you. If you could have fixed you, you'd be fixed by now. You're going to have to have God's help. You're going to have to have the power of the Holy Spirit helping you. You can't fix you. God can change your life, though. He can transform your life if you ask Him to. And that begins with salvation. It begins with that, that initial coming to God and saying, I, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be transformed. I want to be made new. It begins there. It doesn't end there because it's transformation. If you are taking this Jesus-following life seriously, you're going to be cutting away things for the rest of your life. But isn't that how you sculpt like a beautiful sculpture? You take away the stuff that shouldn't be there. And underneath, there's something beautiful. And it's happening. You're going to get more more and more beautiful in the eyes of God. It's time to cut away the stuff that's cutting you off from God. We need His help. Let's go to Him right now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do need Your help. We can't do this. We can't just fix our lives. We've tried. We have tried, Lord. We have tried to break bad habits. Sometimes we've been successful. But as long as the desire is still there, we are always one bad decision away from another spiral. So we need something bigger. We need something stronger. We need You. Lord, I pray for everyone hearing this message, receiving this message, either here in person or listening to it later on, that You would work in their hearts and show them that they need Jesus. They need to be saved. And if they're saved, Lord, they need to be sanctified. And we need You every day, Lord, until the day we meet You, to be cutting away, chipping away at those things in our lives that are cutting us off from You. Lord, thank You for Your patience and Your love and Your goodness. We give it all to You, Lord, not trusting ourselves, but in Your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm so glad you're here. This has been a little heavy. Next week, we're going to talk about salt. Maybe it won't be as heavy. But Lord willing, I hope you'll all be a part of this. Um, Remember, mark it on your calendar, September 10th is the baptism, okay? Remember, come next week with uh, some pintos and some peanut butter, creamy peanut butter, creamy peanut butter for these kids down in Haiti. God bless you guys. Uh, may the Lord be with you this week. We'll see you next time.